show for the purpose of coronavirus time. Joining me today is a very special guest. For those of you that don't know Stacey Brown-Randall, Stacey with an E, you will get to know her over this. She has one of my all-time favorite podcasts, the Roadmap to Grow Your Business podcast. She's got the Growth by Referrals program. She's got a book called Generating Referrals Without Asking. Generating Business Referrals Without Asking. Business Referrals. I was close. Yeah. Um, so if you are, you know, we gear this towards business owners. So if you are looking to grow your business by generating more referrals, we have the guest for you. Um, you don't want to miss this. And then once you're done with this, you want to go subscribe to her podcast, the Roadmap to Grow Your Business podcast. The episodes drop on Tuesdays. Today was episode 98. I have not listened to this week's yet, but other than that, I am caught up. So it is a fantastic podcast. And thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that you are an avid listener to the podcast. You keep coming back. So that's always great. It's always so good to hear. You know, you put these out there and you want to make sure that they're useful for to folks. So I appreciate the feedback and thank you for having me on your show. It's exciting to be here. Yeah. Well, so what I love is like when I first started running my law firm, I wanted everything that I read or ingested to like totally blow my mind, be completely new ideas. And now it's like, I want it to confirm that most of what I'm doing is right. And then give me just like that little extra percentage. And so I think, you know, your, your podcast does a really good job with the, this is what we're doing. That's right. You know, we um, keep doing thank you cards, target this on the thank you cards, put this in there. And then obviously as you continue to grow the podcast, there's some more specific things that I've, you know, blatantly stolen for my own personal use. So thank you. Well, that's what it's there for, right? You're supposed to be able to just take it. It's not stealing it. You're just taking it and using it. But it's interesting that you say that because I always tell folks, I don't, what I teach isn't rocket science. It's referrals. Like it is the oldest way to grow a business and generate a business. We have just totally contorted it so much in terms of how you do that and what it looks like that people stay away from it. I'm like, but this is like the old fashioned way you should want to grow your business. We just got to get you back to thinking about it right. So you're right. A lot of stuff I say, I'm like, you guys should know this. This makes sense. It's common sense. But then we got to put stuff into practice. Well, and you're, but you're not making it seem old timey. Like a lot of the, you know, I know um, a couple of podcasts ago, you were talking about the online card sending program and some of the ways you can do that to automate the process. So, I mean, you're really taking this old school concept and then explaining it and putting it combined with technology for, you know, 2020. Definitely. I think what it has happened is that when I started investigating, okay, I want referrals for my business, but I don't want to ask, not going to pay. And I don't want to be like gimmicky and promotional and cheesy. So when I started looking for ways that fit me and my professional personal brand, there was a way to take what had been taught and completely flip it and look at it differently. And it goes back to looking at the brain science and the psychology behind why referrals even happen from that perspective. And so it was it was in need of a modern approach to it as well, based on the decades and decades of how we've taught it. So yeah, it definitely fits more. And I, I just look at it from the perspective of it's if it's something I would be comfortable doing, right? Then how I teach it is from that perspective and then telling people take and twist and turn what you need to make it fit for you as well. Yeah. And, and at least from the lawyer perspective, I think it's perfect. You know, I was recommended your podcast from another lawyer because we can't solicit business, but right. we want to do it in a professional way. And we want to create that personal brand that, you know, that gets us the referrals that brings those in. Um, so it just, it's been, it's been a really great fit for us. And I hope that it's helpful for a lot of our listeners who are mostly business owners. 
I got to tell you, some of my best students inside the Growth by Referrals program with some of the best case studies are my attorneys because you guys do like it, it fits. And I think it fits whether you're a CPA or an interior designer or, you know, a business coach or consultant. I think it fits financial advisor. It fits. certain industries because there's a professionalness to it but at the same time it works for most personalities as well and kind of how you wanted to work it and what you're comfortable with but most of my attorneys who go through the program they are some of besides my financial advisors some of my best case studies you guys are excellent students I think it's all that law time that you spent in law school all that time you guys had to sit <laughs> learning more and more and more well I definitely got out of law school and thought I'm never going back and learning anything <laughs> and then once I put on my firm I was like okay now I definitely need to learn new things but I want to target what I want to learn Right. And have it be taught by who I want to teach it. So, right. Uh, yes. So I think we have like Stockholm syndrome with the classroom <laughs> setting. So hopefully it's helpful. Um, so I've got in the links, I've got stacybrownrandall.com, Stacy with an E. That's a huge part of the podcast. And <laughs> now you talk about that. And then we also have an Amazon link, which I'm assuming is the link to the book. What other contact information do you want people to have for you? Or are those sufficient? No, I think those are two places to definitely get you started. If you land on my website, that's really my home base. You're going to find out information about the book, about the podcast, about the trainings that I have coming up. We're doing one almost every month in 2020, and we have kept on that schedule. We've shifted some of the messaging and what I'm teaching because of COVID-19. But we're, you know, on my website, you'll find all the information for the monthly training we have going on. And of course, you've got, you know, there's lots of other things you can do, like the referral ninja quiz, which I'm sure you've taken. I don't, I, know if you, I don't know if you remember what your level was, but I'm sure you've taken. So all that's there on the home base. If you'll just spend a little bit of time, you can just kind of right there on that home page, you'll find everything you want. And then, of course, yes, the book's available wherever books are sold. So if you want it now during this time, you're going to have to go to Barnes and Nobles or Books a Millions or Chapters or um, Powell's, some of the bookstores that are in Canada and out on the West Coast, um, because Amazon is saying it's not essential. And so you won't get it uh, okay. later in May. So it's available wherever books are sold. It's a, there's um, their audio version, ebook version, and a printed copy. So it's out there. You may just want to go somewhere different from Amazon to get it now. And so I know you talked about the uh, referral ninja quiz. And so then that gives you like seven days for free. There's a video every day that walks you through like the basis of this process, right? Yeah. So it's, you know, every once in a while we shift it up and change it. So it really just depends on what's happening at the time that someone takes the quiz. So I don't know how long ago you took the quiz, but there was that seven day challenge that kind of, uh, followed that referral ninja quiz for 2020 i've really moved it more to like some of the online like live teaching that i'm doing so you can okay. do a four day or a five day every month for the most part with me only because i just i think the engagement is there and it's so there is like some things are doing at your own pace some things are let's do it with me live so there's engagement i give out really well, i try to give out really good prizes when people participate in the challenges and the trainings. Um, but yeah, when you take the quiz, you get your results and then it kind of directs you whatever we have going on at that point as to what to do next. If you want to learn how to improve your referral ninja level. And uh, okay. So Mark just dropped the Barnes and Noble link. So disregard the Amazon link, everybody, if you want the <laughs> book ASAP, go with the Barnes and Noble link. So I know, um, I mean, I guess if people really want to learn this, they can go through your podcast because I think the first, whatever it is, 15 or 20 episodes will do kind of the foundation. But from that 10,000 foot perspective, when we're talking about building this referral network, what are, what are those steps that people need to take? Yeah. And so, you know, my favorite way to teach this is from that kind of five step process. I and mean, there's even five chapters in the book dedicated to this five step process. I think it's important when you're kind of looking at that five step process, we kind of start with making sure we're all defining referral 
kind of the same way. I think that people take the terminology of like, I'll hear people say word of mouth referrals, or they'll talk about a referral, but it's really an introduction or a warm lead. And so I think defining referrals is always like probably that perfect place to start. And then when I start talking about those five steps, you understand why it's so important to follow those five steps because of what you're going to get, which is the referrals, not just a warm lead or introduction or word of mouth buzz. And so many people confuse those terms and it just ends up diluting the power of why you should be so excited to actually do a little bit of work to generate those referrals. So I always tell folks referrals have what no other type of prospect will have, which is they're always a personal connection. So there's always somebody who trusts you. They're like, hey, Jordan is the bomb attorney and you need to talk to him, right? So there's always somebody who trusts you, who also knows the prospect who needs to hire you and they're going to connect you with that prospect. And when they connect you, right, as we all know, that's where the trust gets to be transferred. That's what makes a referral so amazing. It's because they show up already trusting you, right, from that perspective, like, hey, I'm here, I trust you, this is great, because I trust so-and-so, whoever so-and-so was that was referring you in. And so there's a connection. And the second thing is that there's always a need identified. So when you're having a conversation with the prospect after they've been like connected to you by the referral source, they're like, I need an attorney. This isn't like, I don't know. Do I need an attorney? I have no idea. What do I need an attorney for? They're like, I got a problem and I've been told you can solve it. So that buyer shows up with their need identified and they are in buyer mentality mode. And that's why they're willing to talk to you because they know they have a problem and they trust you to solve it because of who connected you to them. And at that stage, that's when they become that prospect that everyone talks about, which makes referrals so amazing, which means that they are quicker to close, easier to close, less price sensitive, ready to go because they show up trusting you because they've been connected and knowing they have a problem they decided they want to solve. Yeah, I really liked um, how you explained that. You did the episode on um, like Leads Groups, BNI, Navo, all of those. And it was really interesting to see why those are helpful, but not necessarily or not immediately giving you the referrals because those people don't know you well enough to do that transfer. Uh, I guess the right way. It's probably for lack of a better term. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things I help people understand, whether it's through, you know, either my paid programs or the free resources that I put out there is understanding that ultimately what you need are referral sources. You need other humans that are referring you. And most people are like, well, I got to get it from my clients. I'm like, not necessarily. Like you can get referrals from other sources in terms of types of referral sources. You just have to figure out and make sure you understand where you can go get them from. So when we did that episode on um, it was I think it was like leads, networking, referral groups uh, was like kind of the three that we looked at. It's like using those um, networking groups as a location to find potential referral sources that aren't clients, that are actually what we call centers of influence. And so you can have different types of people referring you. They're still all people, right? And clients are usually the easiest, but not all of us are in an industry where we want our clients referring us. So I think about Amanda that's in my program, who's a personal injury attorney. She completely focuses on other attorneys as her referral sources, because she's like, I'm not interested in getting referrals from my clients. They'll refer me, right, if they have the opportunity to, but I remind them of pretty much sometimes the worst thing that ever happened to them or a family member. Right. So, you know, in some cases, like for what she does, it's one thing with like, you know, I'm thinking about like Neil, who's in the program, right? 
And you think about, okay, we do trust in estates and right, or somebody else is in the program, Rick, and does like business law and IP, like you can get referrals from anybody, no big deal. But you do something like criminal defense, like Tony in the program, or you do something like Amanda with personal injury, that's a little different, right? In terms of where you wanna go collect referrals from. And so I always tell folks, it's not just clients, it's not just contacts, right? Most of us are a hybrid of both, but it just depends on what works best for you. But most people get so laser focused on where they think referrals are supposed to come from. I always think it's my job to make sure you're like, hold on, let's expand our horizons just a little bit and realize if it's not working over here, there's probably another place over here where you can get referral sources that will work for you. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly the experience that I had is, you know, in a former life, I was a criminal defense attorney. And there were definitely clients that would refer us a lot of their friends with the same issues. But now that we, you know, now that we do a lot more business and civil litigation, you have people who are like, oh, you know, this guy protected our business as opposed to like, this guy got me off for my DUI. You know, it just, it makes for, it makes for easier conversation among friends, depending upon that process. Um, Yeah. And then I like, you know, you also talk about the need to, to track, you know, confirm that where, you know, make sure you know where every case is coming from, every referral is coming from, and then also seeing, you know, how far those go to see, you know, I'm always amazed talking to people who think that they get so many referrals from clients but they don't actually track to make sure. And then they don't know that they do. And really it's only like two clients sending them all these cases and they're really getting more stuff from other attorneys or centers of influence or whatever it is along those lines. Yeah, I hear that actually. This is not something that's specific to attorneys. This is something that I hear from a lot of the different folks that are in my program or just a part of my community is that it's, we use anecdotal evidence to create fact. (laughs) So we remember the last couple of referrals we received and those happen to come from a couple of clients. And then we take that anecdotal evidence, right? And we just make it facts for everything else in our business. And I always tell folks, it's why really the first step of my process, I always tell folks like, it's the hardest step for you to get through. And if you won't get through it, you're not going any further. So it's, it's one of the ones I talk, you know, I feel like at nauseum, maybe other people don't feel that way, but I feel like I talk about it a lot because you need to know who your referral sources are. Like you've got to track this information. You've got to have that data. And if you don't track it, don't lose hope. Right. I mean, I talk about on the podcast and in my book, like you can recreate some of this data, you're not recreating data for the last 15 years, but maybe the last two or three years, I need you to recreate some data to figure out who is actually referring you, who's actually referred you someone that's turned into a client and who's referred you someone that hasn't turned into a client. And that's how we get really clear data-driven specific on who our referral sources are. And I tell folks, I mean, lots of people jump to the, what do I do for my referral sources, right? So I can get more referrals from them. I'm like, wrong first question. Good question. It's going to come up a little bit later in the process, but the right first question is who? Who am I going to do something for? Because that's going to dictate what I end up doing once I can identify who are my referral sources, who I need to be cultivating better relationships with to get more referrals from them. And so that you're right, the tracking, it's not fun. It's not sexy. You don't have to have Clio or any of the other practice management or any of the other types of CRMs. You can use Excel spreadsheet if that makes your heart happy. You can use a, a yellow legal pad. I would rather you didn't. But again, I'd rather you track it than not. So pick right. But it's really funny. One of the first attorneys, when I was really cultivating the system in this process, there was a really well-known attorney in, our, in my community here in Charlotte. And he's been around, like he's been practicing law, I think like before I was born. And so 
I just really aged him, but hopefully if you ever hear, <laughs> he won't take offense. But I do think he started like the year I was born or He's, something. But he pulled he, he out. He was six when he was first an attorney. It's okay. It totally. Yeah. Maybe it was like two. Who knows, right? But he pulled out like notebooks and notebooks and notebooks of when he used to track this stuff, like in like the prior version of Moleskins, right? Like, and he'd be like, this was the two, this was the 1979, this was the eight, 1985 book of like, who, where his clients came from. And eventually, right, that moved to a spreadsheet. But he showed me, I was like, oh my gosh, I'd never seen anybody who was so meticulous about their ability to track. But that is what revealed to him and what I teach my students, everything, what, what you need to know, what you're going to do is based on who you're doing it for. And he knew, and he was very clear on who his referral sources were. And so it was really nice to see a system that I had created for a very specific reason, which was to grow my own business and then started teaching it to other people to be confirmed in someone who had been around decades longer than me, who had kind of done the same thing and had figured it out on his own and kind of done the same thing. Um, I think it's easier to get referrals back then, like if you were, right, if you've been in business since the 70s, 80s or 90s, because now you have your reputation to kind of fall back on. It's why I teach how to cultivate referral sources now, because some folks are one or two years in owning their own practice. You still need to know what you maybe don't have as decades and decades and decades of just the good old networking that we, uh, you know, we used to do back in the day that's changed a lot. And we still need to know those processes and systems. So. But it was really cool to, to see all those books and be like, holy cow, that is, talk about a tracker. But it is important. So you, you took my next question out. So is that because you always talk about like, all right, give me the last 10 clients if you can. Give me the last three months. Give me the last year. So is he the one who's given you the longest amount of data on this? So I would guess so. The other student I had that I remember my visceral reaction was too much, too much. You gave me too much. He had gone back. Maybe it was a she had gone back into 1998. And I was like, I don't, I don't need that much. Like, because part of what I teach my growth by referral students is, is I'm asking for three to four. Years uh, of data because oh, I, the further you go back. Oh, sorry. Did I lose? Did you lose me for a second? A little bit, but it, okay. it came back pretty quickly. Okay. Um, I tried to tell the kids to stay off their iPads. <laughs> wow. Whatever. Well, we were doing this. Um, so, but you know, it's interesting. Like he went all the way back to 1998 and I tell my students today, like I just need three or four years, particularly if you change the focus of your legal practice, I don't need anybody that referred you for the most part, unless you think they can continue to refer you if you change focus, right. Or practice area for your law firm. Or um, in some cases you just don't have that much data that you can collect the further back you go, but you give me three or four years and we've got some very workable data. But to your point, when you hear me talk, Oh. about it like on the podcast or this challenge is give me the last 10 people it's to make it easy right oh we're uh we're getting a little technical difficulty here oh no That's, it's uh it went out a couple times but not terribly long okay i don't know why it did i don't know i just blame everything on COVID 19 yeah, there we go. Yeah, we had a um, we had an internet security expert on a couple weeks ago who's like, just the entire internet's slow. Like, it's just uh, it just know, it's not it's not you. It's the internet. So okay. so we've got um, so we you know you're talking to people about what a referral actually is versus a lead. You're talking to people about how to get their Grace. list 
Oh, can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. So, so we've got kind of the what a what a referral is versus a lead, a warm lead, word of mouth, buzz, etc. We've got kind of the making sure you know the who that's already there to determine the who you want to add to that list. Then once you've got that, like what's that next step? I mean, how how is is somebody engaging with those centers of influence to keep them referring stuff back? Yeah. So. identified who you're working like this is the most important asset in your business in my opinion the next thing you have to make sure that you're doing is that you're actually cultivating a relationship with them in an ongoing way and the way that i teach that is it's memorable and meaningful that allows you to stay top of mind and what we do is we then weave in specific referral seed language that gets them thinking about us from a referral perspective but in in a way that we're actually taking care of them so you have to care about your referral sources. If you're dead inside, this is not going to work for you. But that you weeds out a lot of the attorneys. So Okay. Well, so that I only want the alive attorneys. That would be great. The ones who actually feel, you know, gratitude and thankfulness, right? You should want to take care of your referral sources. If they're sending you cases and clients, like it should be a no brainer to be like, yeah, I probably should take care of them. Right. So it's, but when I say memorable and meaningful, what I'm not talking about is because you went up and spoke to them at the, you know, well, back in like January, February at the Bar Association networking event. That's great, right? I'm also not talking about the e-newsletter that you send out every week or every month. That's nice, but those are keep in touch type things, right? I'm not talking about the text message you send when something funny happens and you're like, hey, well, how's business, Right. Those are good. I'm not saying don't do them, but I'm saying when you are getting serious about really wanting referrals, we got to get, we have to transcend that kind of keep in touch and we got to move to stay, like really stay top of mind. So what we have to do has to be memorable and meaningful, but we use those memorable and meaningful outreaches or what we call touch points to actually allow us to plant referral seed language. So when we're thanking someone, right, because they send us referrals, that's allowing us right in that touch point moment to remind them that, oh yeah, I send Jordan referrals, right? It starts building in the subconsciousness of just how we want them to think about us, that they know we care about them and that we're seeding this language of referrals. So that's that kind of the way that they think about us as well. Yeah, and I like the, I mean, basically you're talking about kind of that cutting through the noise. Like I, I talked to a lot of people about skip anniversaries, skip birthdays, skip Christmas or Hanukkah for me. Um, and just pick like a random day. So we sent uh, like we sent lotto tickets to a bunch of our referral sources for St. Patty's Day, which yeah. actually turned out really funny because a lot of them put on mail forward. So they got it in like March in the middle of the coronavirus stuff. But they're like, oh, I won five bucks. Like, thanks. This was great. This was so wonderful. So yeah. just, you know, it was interesting to do that as opposed to sending people things at times that everybody else is doing it. It's true. I always tell folks, if you're going to do things at the time where everybody else is doing it, you better make it as personal as possible. So if you're going to do a Hanukkah or a Christmas card or a holiday card, you better put you and your family or at a minimum, you better put the people in your law firm on the card, like make it as human right as possible. But that St. Patrick's Day lottery ticket um, card is probably hands down one of the most popular touch points inside my growth by referrals the students will get in the facebook group and they'll start talking about language for that i mean we actually have it in the course hey if you're going to do the saint patrick's day touch point with the lottery card here's the language but people do oh. it every year so they shift that language around every year and it is 
one of the most popular touch points we have. And it really works well if you, and I, I always tell folks, I'm like, listen, the people who really hit a home run with this are the Irish, right? So we have O'Connor insurance agents are inside the program and they're like, we birthed this. Like, they're like, we started this movement, right? And so, but it's really funny. And I had a lot of attorneys do it. I'm like, it's an easy one to do. And it, no one does it, right? I mean, I sound like all oh, my students are doing it and there may be hundreds of them, but like, that's not thousands and millions of people. So it has that effect of like, that's really cool. Like I got one from an attorney that's actually in our program. I always tell my students, I'm like, send one to me too. Cause I can let you know how it shows up. And if you're sending food, I just want it to be honest. Like just include there you go. Right. And so he sent me one. He was like, did you win anything? I'm like, no, I would like a refund. I would like a new ticket. I didn't win anything. But it's a very popular touch point. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't realize that it was that popular or not popular. But I mean, we sent 50 of them. And I would say 35 of those people sent at least a message, if not a phone call, if not a written thank you, if not posting it on Facebook, like, oh, this is so funny and unique and different. So you know, and to all my referral sources out there, you know, keep sending us stuff. And then uh, actually, I guess I can't say that as a lawyer. We don't uh, we don't send anything of value. And thank you for uh, for referring us cases. So that is we true. Uh, right. appreciate being able to pick everybody's brain and work together as a team to help all in- everybody's individual clients. Well said. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's lawyer speak. Um, all right. So we've got we've got that list. We've got an idea of where we want to go with that list. We want to build that genuine human interaction. And I think that's kind of like you have to be genuine about this, right? Like you can't mm-hmm. be, you can't be the person getting all the business cards. You can't be that person who just f- take, comes off as being needy or desperate. Cause like in our gut, we'll, we'll know that that's what you are. So you got to be genuine about it. And then what? So, yeah. So I always tell folks, I was like, once you know who your referral sources are and then you have a plan. So the way I teach this in my program is that it's actually like a 12 month, a one year plan of how you're going to take care of these people being like we said, memorable and meaningful, top of mind. And then it's using the right language. So when you did that St. Patrick's Day touch point, the language my students would have used. Right. And the way that they, they will send it out to their folks, they will have woven in some referral seeds to get their referral source thinking about them in that way versus just, hey, hope you have great luck. Enjoy St. Patrick's Day. Here's a scratch off ticket, right? They're, we're going to use different type of language that says kind of the same thing, but at the same time as allows us to plan a referral seed. So once you have that plan built and you kind of understand how the language piece works and the language piece, I'm going to be honest, it's probably the one that people really have to like pause and focus on learning. That's why we give like 20 something scripts inside the program. And then I teach you the formula so you can always write and use your own. That's why we have the Facebook group for the students so they can post language and get feedback from myself and other people. But the idea there is, is that once you know how this works, then it's the execution of it. So it really comes down to how do we make it part of your workflow? How do we delegate what we can delegate to somebody else on your team? Like, I want you to always do the handwritten stuff because you're the attorney that's being referred. But that doesn't mean you have to do the packaging, the mailing and finding of the addresses. Right. Like there are other things and you don't always have to send a gift. It doesn't have to be something in the mail. But if you decide you want to do an event. Right. I want you to have hopefully unless you're a solopreneur. You have other people helping you like plan the event. So there's lots of different types of touch points or outreach that you can do. There's not just things that can be mailed. There's not just gifts. There's so many things you can do. But then it's taking that plan you built and making sure it gets done because you can't send out with the same effect, a St. Patrick's Day lottery card on Labor Day. Just not 
going to work in the same way. You'll have to change everything about the messaging and the card. So making sure it happens when it's supposed to happen. There's a cadence that we follow within that 12, um, 12 month plan or that one year plan. There's just this cadence that we follow so that we're not overdoing it and seem cheesy and we're not underdoing it. And then we really make sure we like rise above the noise in terms of what we're doing. So it got to be something different. And then it's the process. It's the how do you systematize it? How do you automate parts of it? How do you delegate parts of it or outsource pieces of it? If you plan it in advance, like I tell my students, like at the end of every year, like we sit down and we're like, okay, build your plan for next year. Like this is part of the process so that they know what to do. They get that into their task list or their project management software or on their calendar. So when it comes time to do something, they're prepared, they're locked and loaded and ready to do it so they can execute on it. Um, that's really th that, that final piece that is so important. But none of it works if you don't use the right language, right, with the right touch points for the right people. But that language piece is the piece that makes the referrals actually start coming. And, you know, I have lots of folks who will go through my program and they'll be like, hey, I can only take like 12 or 15 cases and I'm not getting three a year. I'm like, well, then 12 or 15 referrals is your referral explosion. When right. you follow the process, that's what you'll experience. You don't need to be anything like Lisa, who owns a, an on-hold marketing company that averages 40 referrals a year. And we got her to 347 in her first year. You couldn't handle that many cases if I handed them to you, right? So I also tell folks, it's then figuring out what do you want to come out of this process? If you do this process, what's the goal we're going for? And we typically look at how many referral sources you have as the average of the last couple of years of referrals you've received. And then we actually realize then what's your capacity for new clients? Because that's effectively when you're referred, you're getting a new client. How many can you handle? And then we create what your number is. And then this is the most important piece. We've now got a metric that we can actually measure this against to make sure it's working the way it's supposed to. So you get your ROI. Now, are you checking with referrals given or new referral sources or it depends upon the client or both? So through the program, we actually track a couple of things. They start out by just being able to identify who their referral sources are. So they know how many referral sources they have and they know their average of referrals over the last couple of years creates like an average number received. So when I say Lisa gets an, on average 40 referrals a year, it's because over three years of data, that was her average number. And then we set a goal based on the number of referral sources that we think you can hit. Now, to be honest, I really thought I'd get Lisa to like, 80. I was like, well, we're going to double that number. And then she blew it out of the water. And I was like, okay, you're like the, like the winner of all time record of referrals received, right? Um, for a first year. But that's what we check in the very beginning. So when you get in the program, it's like, how many referral sources do you have? What's your average number of referrals received? And let's use that to set a reasonable stretch goal for how many referrals you want if you follow my program for one year. Once you're in the program, though, then we actually have a tracking mechanism where you actually go in every three months and you're going to load up how many referrals received over that month and how many new referral sources you added. If you need to add new referral sources, some people start with plenty. Most don't. Most start with, hey, I've got a handful, but I need a handful or two more. So we also have a, a part in the program where we teach people, well, how do you take that client or that contact that you want to refer you and turn them into a referral source. So as you get into the program, we're actually measuring both. How many new referral sources are you creating? In addition, how many referrals are you receiving? And we look at it on a three month, like every quarter or three month basis. So, I mean, obviously every client's going to be a little bit different because you will get those people that only want, you know, one referral a month. Um, but from an average standpoint, I mean, what, 
how many referrals is the average person coming to you or referral sources is the average person coming to you with? I mean, five, 10. So it's usually less than a dozen is a okay. lot of times where they're going to start out. But so, you know what, let's just talk about this from a legal perspective, because that would be totally different number if I was talking to you from a different industry perspective. So realtors would have a different number on average or interior designers would be much lower on average, just because they don't pay attention as much to referrals um, from that perspective. So let's look at from an attorney perspective. They're usually starting out with less than 12, so less than a dozen. And eight times out of 10, we're trying to get them to two dozen or three dozen, depending on how active those sources actually are. I mean, that's a big part of the puzzle. Like if everyone's only giving you one a year, well, how many do you need? 12, then you need 12 referral sources. You need 24 referrals, okay, and you'll have 24 sources. But what we try to do is we try to move our referral sources to give us multiple in a year, right? That's why we have this system to take care of them. So that way, like I think about, let me just go back to my example of Amanda. She started out with one referral source. She got six or seven referrals. And this was truly from an internal partner. She was going to, he was on the criminal side. She was on the civil side. She was going to get them regardless. They weren't going to put that out to another firm, but it was one referral source and it was six or seven cases a year. Well, what she needed were 12 consistently because personal injury cases can run a year or two years or longer, just depending on the length. Right. And so she needed more than that. She really was like, I need like 12 or 15 coming in every year, even if I don't take them all. So we, but she had one referral source. So we had to first build up her referral sources and she, she's probably around, I would guess now closer to probably 30 because she's been in the program six years. And so she's probably closer to 30 now, but that's all she needs. And she generates 40 referrals a year. And she's just steadily grown that from six or seven referrals to 12 referrals to 27 referrals to 30 something referrals. And now she comes in around 40 and she's got a system in place. She's like, I know what this looks like. I know what my numbers need to look like. I know who's going to give, who gives every year, right? Unless something happens. And so that makes it a little bit easier to kind of plan. But most people are going to be aiming for more than a dozen or at least a dozen referral sources depending on the number of cases. Now, lots of people have more referral sources than a dozen or two, but most people kind of fall in that, you know, 10 to 25 kind of range when we're getting them started of how many we need to maybe get them to or how many maybe they're starting with. Right. Uh, Okay. And so then I know you're working on a second book now. Yes. And so it's interesting because you're talking about, you know, a little bit before this, you were talking about the second book being kind of the prequel to this, but Mm -hmm. to me, it's almost like it's almost the next step, you know, like it's not a, if you build it, they will come. But if you don't have leads, doing a great sticky client experience doesn't really matter because if you don't have leads, you don't have clients. Yeah. So I think you can look at it that way, particularly if the, the younger your firm is, right, the newer your firm is. But the truth is a lot of people come up to me and they'll be like, I'm not getting any referrals. I've been in business seven years. I have maybe one or two referrals that I can count on. And I always say, well, it could be that you have the potential for more referrals. You just don't know how to tap into it. Or it could actually be something a little bit more painful for me to have to deliver, which is you could be giving a very choppy experience or quite possibly a crappy client experience. And that makes you not referable. So when I talk about how we generate referrals without asking, usually my disclaimer is I'm assuming you're getting some referrals. You have a client experience that makes you worthy of referrals. But if you don't, this is probably where you need to start with is that sticky client experience. And and the, the book is written specifically for service business providers. It is like, how do I manage this when it's just me or just me and a couple of people? Like it's looking at a sticky client experience on a shoestring budget 
for people who don't have like, you know, 50,000 employees to run all the pieces and parts. Like this is like, we're looking for how do we deliver this great experience that makes me referable that I can manage and handle. It's the same way I had to do it for myself, but there are some trigger points within that client experience, which are opportunities to start turning clients, new clients into referral sources. So when you have that client experience, it just kind of helps the whole funnel, right? Work in terms of starting to get more referrals. Then when you have some referrals, right? Then I'm like, okay, now let's take that and turbocharge it by making sure we're applying this referral plan that we've been talking about. Yeah, I always, I, it never makes sense to me how a service business can operate with bad customer service because <laughs> you don't have a product. Like if I made the best car ever and I was a jerk to you, you might still want to buy it because it's the best car. But when I'm a lawyer, you know, I don't have a trademark on case law. There's not motions that I can file that nobody else can file. And yet people seem to, a lot of people seem to lose sight of that client experience. They do. And it's not actually intentional. It's usually because you start a business and you're really good at being an attorney. And then all of a sudden you realize, oh crap, I got to be a good business owner too. Like I got to learn how to do accounting or bookkeeping, or at least know how to outsource it to the point where I can give it to someone else to do. Right. But I still got to oversee it. Then I got to do marketing. Then I got to do sales. Right. And like, there's all these pieces, right? It's like Emeth, right. From Michael Gerber. It's like, there's right. all these pieces to running a great business on top of delivering quality work. Right. You need both to actually be referable. You can't just be the most amazing attorney and never communicate with anybody and think they're going to be like, let me tell all my friends about you. You're amazing. But I didn't hear from you from six months. Like no one's right. going to do that either. So it's a balancing act for business owners. And so I think there's that idea that people don't intentionally not pay attention to that choppy client experience. I think they just get so busy running their business that they forget that it is actually a crucial part. And the way I teach it, because I like to teach everything step by step, like do this, then do this, then do this. And so we can easily execute on it. It's the same thing that the client experience, like there are three stages to a client experience that you need to plan for, cut out all the other noise and just focus on these three parts and what it looks like. And so it's, it's kind of that same mentality. They're not intentionally trying to give a crappy experience. It just right. happens. <laughs> Well, it's everything that you talked about. You're talking about acting genuinely and acting intentionally to get the, you know, the goals you're looking for, whether it's referral sources, whether it's a sticky client experience. And so I don't think anybody's out there thinking I'm going to be a jerk to clients. They're just out there <laughs> thinking, you know, I'm doing a million things. That's not the one I'm focused on right now. You know, right. which, then, which then you come back to, you know, I don't know, like, unless my wife tells me to call somebody, I'm still going to go Google them and look at their online reviews and if every client says, you know, they're terrible, even if it's my best friend saying they're great, you know, I'm going to wonder why the different, you know, why there's such a difference there. Yeah, it's true. I mean, so like I can have a great experience with somebody and somebody else cannot. Right. And that's going to impact how we see them and what and what we do. Um, and I think it comes down to like it's one of the things I address in the book. It's like this isn't about you being perfect. Right. This is about you being a business owner that is actually a grown up who knows how to manage things when they don't go according to plan. Setting expectations is one of the actual fundamental principles you have to have when you're creating a sticky client experience. Because when I've set expectations, I have something to fall back on as a business owner when you get crazy expectations because you've forgotten the ones I've set for you. And so there's that ability. Like when I used to do one-on-one -on -one coaching, I would tell my, I was a productivity and business coach. I would tell my clients, don't call me. Not that I don't want to talk to you. Is that if you leave a voicemail, I'll never know about it. I'm terrible at checking voicemail. Send me an email and I have my inbox on lockdown. That is a piece of software that I have complete control over. 
I was a certified productivity coach. Of course, I had lockdown on my inbox. Voicemails, not so much. So I set the expectations, right? Like if you really want to communicate with me, use email. It's the same thing with how we run our business and how we communicate those things. And most people get so wrapped up of being beholden to what they think their clients want. They don't realize that what their clients really want is just to be told what to expect. And then you manage to that. And of course, deliver quality work. All right. So who... Who needs your help? I mean, what is, what is that ideal situation? I mean, it's somebody who just has a couple referral sources. It's somebody who has some that wants to take it to the next level. It's, you know, what, what's that pain point that they should have that lets them know that Stacey Brown Randall is right for them? Yeah. So, you know, when I look at who are my best clients that I'm able to work with and really, really help, it's definitely going to be those folks who they got in business because they're really good. And you're in like your industry case, they're really, really good, like maybe being an attorney or maybe being a financial advisor or being a CPA or an interior designer or a business coach or consultant. Right. Like they're really good at doing the thing that they do. What they would love is to grow their business easier. It doesn't mean they're not willing to do some work for it, but it could grow their business easier. Regardless of what you look like, lots of referral sources, not a lot of referral sources. I can, my programs can meet you where you are. That's not a problem. Even if you don't have a great client experience, I got a program for that. Like my programs can meet you and fill in your gaps, but it's gotta be someone who says, I'm a darn good CPA. I'm a darn good attorney. I just need my business to grow a little bit better and faster, but I'm also willing to do the work. And then you're going to be a good student (laughs) and you're going to listen and you're going to follow through the process. I mean, that's the students that come out of my program with great case study results and material for me and testimonials and stuff. It's because they followed the process and they did the work. So if you want to grow and you want to grow easier and you prefer referrals and you can follow instructions, (laughs) um, that's really this is the place for you. It's you know, I there's a lot of industries I don't help. I don't help online businesses. I don't help medical businesses. I don't help in the retail space, right? There's some places where my methodology, it's too much work for the results you're looking for. But if you're gotcha. a, service-based, a service-based professional, like this should absolutely work for you as it has for you know my hundreds and hundreds of students before. All right. So I have just a couple more questions. But before okay. that, I want to get you uh, the opportunity to pitch everything again. So for those of you who are watching, we've got we've got the contact information up here, stacybrownrandall.com. Stacy has an E. Um, when you're done with this, if you're on your phone, go to go to your podcast app and subscribe to the Roadmap to Grow Your Business podcast. Uh, anything else that you want to make sure people have? No, I think those are two great places. I would tell folks though, when you're if you're hearing like if Jordan and I are having this conversation, it's, you know Jordan, right? You trust Jordan. This is the first time you've heard from me. I would say start with the quiz because it helps you understand exactly where you are and what you need to do. And it's nine simple questions that kind of get you at a place of, do I want to know more? I really do think that quiz helps you answer questions. And you're either going to say, huh, I've got some gaps, or you're going to be like, no, I'm good. And so moving forward, I think just starting with that referral ninja quiz is probably the best place. And you just go to referralquiz.com to take it, or it's on the websites, right? there when you get to stacybrownrandall.com, it's right there. Take the ninja quiz. I always tell folks that's the best starting point. Then you can go to the podcast, read the book, join a paid program. Okay. That's a very, that's a very honest and not salesy <laughs> place to send people to the, the free resource. So that's a good, that's a great starting point. Yeah. So um, I've got at least two more questions. We'll see. Depending upon your answers, there might be a few more. And I'm a lawyer, so it'll probably be more than I think it will be. It's going to be more. So if you've got that business owner out there who you know knows they're stuck, um, in addition to them taking the quiz, 
what are those like two or three things that they can do over the next month that's going to set them up for referral success? Yeah, you know, it's interesting that the information and the resources and the advice that I'm giving now during COVID, it's not any different than I would have given pre-COVID or post-COVID. It just matters so much more now because I want you to emerge stronger. And in my case, I want you to emerge referral stronger from this time. The number one thing you can do is you can sit down and identify your referral sources. You don't need any software to do that unless you've got a CRM or a database. You don't need to pay anybody to understand what this looks like. You need to sit down with a list of your clients and identify how they first heard about you. Then sit down with a list of your prospects, those that never became a client. Figure out if you can remember or have tagged where they heard about you. Create this list of the people who have been referring clients and prospects to you. Just identifying that list, I tell you what, this is the number one thing it'll do. You're going to be surprised by who's on the list. You're going to be surprised by who's not on the list. And at that moment, you're going to feel in control of a part of your business that you've never felt in control over before, in this case, being referrals. When we know who our referral sources are, we can be referral stronger just taking that first step. Now, knowing who are your referral sources isn't going to give you a referral explosion. There's work to do, but it'll also either motivate you or demotivate you to take the next step or not. So that is really the right now, pre-COVID, post-COVID, in the middle of COVID, doesn't matter everybody should know who their referral sources are. If you're a business owner, you should know who your referral sources are. Yeah, I think the uh, the easy way to know that you're giving good advice that is correct is that you don't have to change it when something <laughs> negative happens. I mean, that's the, you know, if it works when everything's going well and it works when everything's going terribly, it's good advice. Yes, and it's, it is true how I'm telling people to lean into their referral sources during COVID-19. We're talking about some different tactics um, just because anybody who does face-to-face, -face, we're not doing that right now. But, you know, like almost none of my referral sources are local anymore. So we talk about local referral sources and non-local. But at the end of the day, once you know who they are, just reaching out to them right now, COVID time and saying, how are you? Can I help? That goes a long way. Yeah, definitely. So, all right. Um, then I guess I, I do, I am down to my last question then, unless there's, if there's anything else that you want to chime in that we haven't covered. No, you've asked no. very good questions. I feel like I've given a very good overview. So thank you. <laughs> I, I think you've done a great, a great overview as well. <laughs> so putting aside everything we've talked about, I just, you know, with everything going on with coronavirus, with everybody being stressed out and upset about their business, what's that like one or two pieces of advice, suggestions, tips, or just reassurance? that you want to give to, you know, as many business owner and future referral ninjas as possible? You know, I think it's such an, an important and hard, important question to ask and a hard one to answer because there's like so many things I want to say in this moment. But I would say that one thing I keep coming back to, and so this isn't the message everybody can stand to hear right now. I'm hoping maybe more of your audience can. But if you're not hanging on for dear life, I, I think I would give a different message if you're hanging on to your business and hanging on to your world for dear life with everything that happened. So like my husband used to own restaurants. He and I'd be having a totally different conversation right now if we still owned, right, the restaurant, but we don't anymore, right? So, but if you're not hanging on for dear life and you're just trying to get through this and not have too much of a setback in your business, I think the one thing we need to consider doing is, to, uh, yes, tighten up the processes that need to be tightened up. Look at how you can make your business grow faster when we get out of that, when money's flowing, but it'll start flowing even more, right, when we come out of this. But I think it's also okay for you to have a really hard conversation with yourself about how you weren't prepared. 
for something like this? And how do you come out of this and are prepared? I mean, it's actually the podcast episode I'm working on for next week. It's hard conversations with yourself. Like if you went into this and you didn't have a business savings account, right? And so the only thing holding on for you for dear life was the PPP loan. Like what does it look like to survive this and come out and make a better choice in the future? If you commingled all your funds in your business and now all of a sudden people are asking for refunds for deposits and stuff and you don't have the money, well, that wasn't your money to begin with. It should have been in a deposit account only to be dispersed when the project began or the work began. Like there's just some hard conversations we need to have with ourselves. It's the same hard conversations we all have with ourselves from a personal perspective, probably after the 2008 recession, when we're like, huh, maybe we shouldn't buy a house more than we can afford. Maybe we should have a six month emergency fund, right? Like take those, that time. You don't need to do it right now, but you need to have the conversation with yourself about what are things I need to do different when I come out so that I'm better prepared to deal with this if and when, and unfortunately, I do believe it's a win, it happens again, or the next thing happens right. again that impacts our businesses. Yeah, I mean, to, to the extent that this could still be a 12 to 15 more months of at least economic impact, um, right. plus, you know, whatever else comes in. So, all right. As long I as it's not school. I can't have my kids out for school for another 12 to 15 months. Well, so Florida <laughs> announced they're done for this year. So yeah. I don't know if... Uh, same with North Carolina. We're done for the year. And then some teacher went on and said, by the way, nothing's being graded. I was like, you just killed my children's me. motivation. I was like, that's what I was hanging over their heads. You're never going to get to seventh grade or fifth grade. Right. They'll make you redo. Uh, well, the, uh, it's uh, like, whose line is it anyway, right? All the, uh, all the rules are made up and the points don't matter at this point. So It doesn't matter. Yes. All right. Thank you again so, so, so much for joining us. And really, I, uh, you know, for those of you that have listened to a bunch of these videos, I think there's only been two podcasts that I really told you all to stop everything and go subscribe to. This is being the second one, but absolutely do it. Uh, like literally, I listen to this podcast almost every single week. So thank you so much for that. And thank you for uh, joining us. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thanks for having me.